Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If we'd get your Bibles open up to the gospel according to Luke chapter 17. The gospel according to Luke chapter 17. We are fallen individuals. As such, our relationships tend to be a mess. The love that we share with other people, apart from us having a drastic change in our lives, is very conditional. Very conditional. You must treat me good in order for me to treat you good. Karma is a big thing in this world today. If you're good to people, good things will happen to you. If you're bad to people, bad things will happen to you. We as Christians don't believe in karma. We believe that you reap what you sow. You do bad things, yeah, there are consequences. You do good things, yeah, there tend to be blessings. Um, But our relationships with humans aren't a whole lot different than our relationship with God. The relationship that we show towards human beings will also reflect the type of relationship that we see with God. And we see God as being someone who is very conditional. Um, And we know, based on the salvation that we have, I mean, let me be honest. How many of you do something bad and you're afraid God's going to get you for it? Um, How many of you do something good and think that God's going to give you something good for it? Now, I'm going to say something to you that you may agree or disagree with, but I can prove to you relationally in the scriptures that this is a fact. God himself will not, under Christ, punish you for doing bad things. He will not protect you from the consequences of those bad things. Let me be clear. But he will not punish you for those bad things. God also will not bless you just because you do something that is right. Stick with me. God will bless you if you are his child, period. He will um, discipline you if you are his child, period. It's impossible for him to hold a grudge if you are his child, It's impossible for him to love you or give you any more than he already has. We don't live in a world where where God is a human being, and when we do things that are contrary to his will, all of a sudden our relationship is absolutely estranged. It's not the relationship we live. While we were yet sinners, I want you to let that soak in. While we were yet sinners... In other words, when you were in your dirtiest, filthiest form, pre-Christ, Christ died for you. Do you get that? It's not like God one day is going to say, oh, you're doing so good, I think I'm going to give you more than eternal life. 
I think I'm going to give you more than joy unexpressible. I think I'm going to give you more. I mean, he's made all of this stuff accessible to us if we're individuals who understand the relationship, amen? And we still have a fallen world to deal with, right? We still have temptations that are very real to deal with, right? And I'm not saying that God won't bless us for being faithful and obedient. What I'm saying is that he cast that into the mold. Do good, receive good. You will reap what you sow. Do evil, receive the consequences of doing evil. This is placed in the mold. He's not sitting up there for 7 billion people and saying, oh, you're in trouble. Oh, loss of salvation for five days, be careful. He's not standing up there saying, I'm going to give you a little bit of something extra. When we honestly think about this in a relationship, we completely remove every one of his attributes. Is God all-knowing? Does that mean that he knows every mistake you made in your past, every mistake you've made today, and every mistake that you'll make in the future? Do you honestly think that he's waiting to give an emotional reaction to what he already knows you're going to do? It's cast into the mold. But we tend to live this life treating God as if what he gives us is conditional. So what we do is we end up being people, and as hard of a time as I give the Catholic Church in Mexico, and I've had Catholics who have told me that that just can't be true. And I'm going to tell you today, if you don't believe that the Catholic Church in Mexico is as corrupt as it gets, go to Mexico. When we believe that God is conditional in his love and he's conditional in his blessings, then we become individuals who are controlled by circumstance and controlled by fear. You know why the Catholic Church is the biggest church in Mexico? Because they've convinced everybody down there that if you even step foot on Baptist property, your entire family's cursed. And the people believe it. How does that make us any different if we're individuals that believe that if we disappoint God, he's going to curse us? That makes us absolutely no different. So the whole idea that this is working towards, that we'll see in this passage of Scripture, is that we're individuals who should show gratitude 100% of the time for everything that God's done for us and expect nothing more than what he expects of us. Nothing. I've, I've talked to people over 30 years, and people who, who honestly think, if I give 10% of the church, that's faithful. God's going to give me 15% back. I got news for you. If you're giving 10% because your idea is that God's going to give you 15% in return, you will get nothing. Nothing. Because he has been clear about the expectation that he's, placed, that he's laid before us. When we placed our trust in him, we became individuals who agreed that we would become every day a little bit more like Christ, fulfilling the plan and the purpose that he laid before us. He gave us eternal life. And has promised us so much more. If you take a look at, look at Luke chapter 17, we'll move kind of quick through these first few verses. Said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, 
but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. See, he's moving into this conditional deal, okay? This, this, this is reflecting the condition that we as, as human beings operate under that he is actually being contrary to. Because what does our logic say to us? If somebody sins against us, most of us will forgive them, right? But how many times can somebody sin in one day before you say, uh-uh? Would it even take seven? In another passage of scripture, he said 70 times seven. If somebody sins against you 490 times, you forgive them 490 times. We all use those justifications. I can forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Well, what's the benefit in that? Forgiving is forgetting. Can you even really forgive if you don't forget? Let's put it in the context of God. If God forgave you for everything you did but didn't forget it, when the day comes that the burning sulfur rolls out from underneath his, his, um, his throne and it's time for him to pay back vengeance for everything that's been done, what's the chances that you don't get what's coming to you? And the Bible's clear. He's forgotten it as far as the east is from the west. Tossed into the sea of forgetfulness. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. He didn't just forgive it, he forgot it. There shouldn't be conditions. Do you forgive me? Yeah, I'll forgive you, but... That's a condition to forgiveness, amen? You better not do it again. Is love supposed to be with limits? Or is the love that Jesus first showed us, that we're supposed to show others, supposed to be limitless? Was the love that he showed us conditionless? Was it without condition? And many times in the New Testament, it tells us that we're supposed to love others with the same love which he loved us. No conditions. People who hate you, people who hurt you, people who steal from you, people who treat you badly, doesn't matter. We love them. Because that's what we've been called to do. We don't expect an extra benefit from loving them. Because God expects the bare minimum. And the bare minimum is exactly what he says he expects of us. One point that he's making in these first four verses. Verse one is inevitable for stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. 
if we are loving our spouses conditionally, and we are loving our God conditionally, then how can we expect our children to love? Conditionally? Is that a stumbling block? One of the other Gospels says a large millstone to be cast into the depths of the sea. And I've, I've asked this question before. Do you think you would die of drowning first, or do you think you would die from water pressure first? Which would you choose? This is something God takes seriously, folks. We are bringing up individuals and supposed to be bringing them up in spite of the culture that's trying to raise them. Because another sermon that's coming eventually is the conflict of two cultures. The culture that's out there and the culture that's in here. And it's a culture we see brewing and bubbling over. And many of our young people are being lost to that culture. They're being lost to that culture because we can't get it right. Yeah, they have a choice. They have free will. I've said it a dozen times and I'll say it again. Who should be teaching boys? Men. Ask me when the last time was we had a children's Sunday school teacher who was a man in this church. I'll be very quick to tell you that I've been here for 20 years. Not once have we had a male Sunday school teacher in church. Little boys growing to be snowflakes. Being told by women out in that culture that it's toxic to be a male. I served at Bates Creek Camp for 20 years. Who do you think I had to find cabin leaders more for, boys or girls? Boys. We're losing the battle for our children. It's a fact. Just look. It's a fact. Why? Who's their example? And I'm not doing this just to be hard on you guys. I'm not talking about Highland Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. Many individuals... And I hear people say it all the time. If I don't go to church, God's going to get me. No, he's not. I mean, if you're here because you're afraid God's going to get you, you're here for the wrong reason. There's not an ounce of worship coming out of your spirit if you're here because you're afraid God's going to get you. And if you think you're going to get a little extra blessing because you come, you're not getting that either. I mean, how selfish have we become as a Christian culture when God himself sends his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins, promising us eternal life, not only eternal life, but life in its fullest, as long as we desire to live according to his structure, and we say, give me more. Give me more. We're losing our children. 
supposed to happen. The book says so. But there are also supposed to be also supposed to be pockets in this world that it don't happen. Those individuals who will continue to desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, who desire to be faithful, who desire to be grateful, who desire to be thankful, who put forth an effort to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, not because otherwise brings a curse and not because doing so brings an extra blessing, but just because we understand the call and just because we understand the consequence. If we grow so comfortable as a Christian culture that it does not move us to tears that people out there are dying and burning in hell for an eternity, there is something wrong with our Christian nervous system. If we will make excuses as to why we will not reach out and will allow people to end up in that fate, something is terribly wrong. Verse 5 says, The apostle said to the Lord, increase, your, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come, to, come from the field, Come immediately and sit down and eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drank and afterward you will eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. Give me no expectation of an, of an added benefit. You ever had somebody do a favor for you? And this phrase, completely anti-Christian phase, probably one of the most anti-Christian phases you, phrases you can come up with. You owe me. I'm human. I've been in those spots where you go out of your way to do things for people. And people always calling you and asking you to do things for them. And you always do it happily. And then the first time they don't show up for you, what kind of a pity party do we throw? So conditional. It has woven itself into the Christian culture so deep that it has absolutely infected who the church is in this country. Verse 11, and it came about while he was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Before we go any further, This is a section of the passage of Scripture where 
Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, if he was to compare places with like the gospel according to John, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. The Pharisees were seeking to kill Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead. This is around um, John chapter 11, verse 57. Um, and Jesus had to take off because it wasn't time for him to be arrested. It wasn't time for him to be killed yet. So he had to take off. So he took a great big loop basically to throw off the people who were trying to kill him. And this happened after he left raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, he was, it said that specifically that he was uh, between Samaria and Galilee. And when he entered a, a certain village, the leprous men stood at a distance because according to the law, if they were declared unclean and a leprous person was declared unclean, there was a certain distance they had to stay away from other people. So these people would have had to have yelled to Jesus in order for Jesus to hear them. It says they raised their voices. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And it came about as they were going, they were cleansed. The only way society, the only way society could accept them again was if they went to a priest, were declared clean. Now, before we go any further, I want you to just take a thought about the consequences of being someone who had leprosy. You were not allowed within a certain distance of individuals. You weren't allowed to touch anything that somebody else had touched. How many things in life had been affected? No more family. No more job. The only fellowship that you could have was with people who were also lepers. These individuals' lives basically had been lost before they had died. Who knows how long they'd been this way? They could have been this way for quite some time. But the fact is, their lives came to an abrupt halt at the point in time that they were declared unclean. One amazing thing is when they were on their way, they were cleansed. So this was something that Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. All 10 of them take off showing themselves to the priest. Doesn't say exactly how far away they got, but they got at least some distance away when they had looked down and realized that every wound on their body had been healed. Verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Samaritans weren't accepted by Jews. It's funny how when they all were in the same boat, they accepted one another. A Samaritan to Jesus was no different than a Gentile. He didn't treat a Samaritan any better or any worse than he did a Gentile because they weren't considered a Jew. One of them came back. Jesus asked a question. He answered, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? You know where they were? They were too busy getting their lives back to give thanks. Thanks. <clears throat> 
We've seen it in this country time and time and time again. Somebody flies airplanes into the Twin Towers. What happens to church attendance? Goes up. Even now, as we see individuals saying that the government is coming to the point of saying that the pandemic is on its way to being over, even though people have not returned to church, there are more people inquiring about church than there has been in the last 20 years. My question is why? Why does it take a, na- a, na- a national disaster? Why does it take a global disaster? I'm glad that you asked. Because to most of us, our God is a raincoat God. He hangs on the wall behind the door until we need him. And when we need him, we'll take the raincoat off the wall and we'll put it on. And as soon as he does what he does, in so many miraculous ways, we leave the raincoat on, we take it off and we hang it back on the wall behind the door. Let me ask you something. If you were treated the same way that God is being treated by Christians, would it make you want to be less merciful? Good thing God's not a human, amen? But we know that God has emotions. Shortest verse in the Bible, Gospel according to John chapter 11, verse 35. Say it out loud. Two words. Also told in another place of the scripture, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. These ten men were so busy to get on with life that they couldn't even turn around and thank the one who gave it to him. Some people have gone so far as to play percentages with this. How many of us in here are lepers? Let me rephrase that. How many of us in here were once lepers? Every one of us. What percentage of people do you think actually give God gratitude and appreciation for what he's done for us? You think possibly 10%? I've listened to people complain because God asked for 10%, time, talents, and money. I've listened to people misjudge churches because they expect not your money, but faithfulness. I've listened to people give pastors a hard time because they stand up and just say, this is what God expects of you. What more can God give you than he's already given you? And so help me, if a better house, better car, better insurance plan, if those are the things that run through your head, so help me, God. You just need to come see me after church because I'm going to pray for you. 
everyone sitting in here, I want to ask you a serious question. In every case, when has God not shown up for you? It's not a question just for a few people. That's a question for all of us. When has he not shown up for us? When has he not shown his presence in the midst of our trouble? When has he not proven himself time and time and time again? When has God failed you? And I would venture to say that everybody in this church would have to say, never has he failed me. I failed myself. Amen? Goes right back to the actions and consequences, right? But he has never failed me. Verse 18 says, Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Really curious about this. Don't think that it's true, but in my demented, twisted little mind, I'm thinking just how cool it would have been if those nine had showed up to the priests and had their leprosy back. Then God tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you do know that you have at times been one of the nine. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. And he is a God who deserves so much more than we have given him. Verse 20. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look here, look here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. This is an interesting passage of scripture. Not that all the other ones aren't. The Pharisees who were questioning him, they believed that a king was coming who would very quickly restore Israel to its rightful place, beat Rome out of the area, and establish the millennial kingdom. So these Pharisees were expecting a sign. Jesus says that type of a sign is not going to be given to you. But the kingdom of God is in your midst. I want to encourage you to look this up in the Greek. The kingdom of God is in your midst. That word midst, do you know how it can be translated? The kingdom of God is in your heart. God created every human being with the capacity to know who he is. The ones who reject him are just denying it. 
they know the truth. They aren't willing to show their gratitude by paying the price that Jesus Christ is expected from every one of us, which is no more than just to believe in him. Now, a whole lot more comes with that. We believe in him, and if our faith is true, then we follow him not because we have to or because we're afraid not to, but we follow him because we choose to. But my last question is this. Do you follow him on his terms? Or do you follow him on yours? This is a problem, folks. If you're ever grateful to someone, do you express that gratitude? I know that you do. What kind of gratitude have you shown God? I'm not saying it's all bad, and I'm not saying you guys are bad. I know the world is hard. I know its expectations are high. I know that it's easy for us as individuals who are Christians to get off track. But I can promise you this. If our God is brought front and center, and we see him as one who is worthy of our gratitude, and we show that gratitude, then we will be expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ without even knowing it. Well, preacher, I go to church. Hour and 20 minutes a week. Two hours and 20 minutes a week. At the most, four hours a week. Go to church. Don't answer this question out loud. How much time do you spend praying? Do you pray without ceasing? Is it something that's always on your mind? Is your blessings over your meal? Hey, bub, thanks for the grub. Around our house, first one to take a bite, praise. When we ask a blessing over our food, and we're thanking God for being a provider, do you really stop and take your time And be sure that what it is that you're saying isn't just words that are coming out of your mouth. But they're words that you mean from your heart. When's the last time you shed a tear for a lost person? Did you cast them up to the mercy seat of Christ? It's more than a day. It's too long. I can promise you this, folks. This church is going to be hard to grow. Because we will not waver from the truth. And the truth is not popular. It's not popular with the fundamentalist who thinks that we don't go far enough. And it's certainly not popular with the culture that's outside these four walls because they think we go too far.
but the Spirit of God is who draws people to himself. And he chose to use us because he knows that we being individuals who were where we are, were and are where we are, we are the greatest example of the existence and reality of God that there is today. Infuriates some people. Be grateful. And show that gratitude in any way that you can. Because I believe that all of you would agree with me. He is so worthy of it. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you've never followed through a believer's baptism, you're comfortable coming up here, I'm comfortable with that. If you're not, please be sure and tell me before you leave today. I'll call and talk to you on the phone. After everybody leaves, I'll sit on the front pew, you sit on the back pew, we'll shout back and forth to each other. Don't leave this place if the Holy Spirit moves you. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to reiterate once again, I don't think you're bad people. If I did, reality is the human in me would want to just leave. I know you're good people, and I've seen the goodness of your heart, and I've seen you express Christ in so many ways. But only you can say exactly where you're at in your relationship. Has your life been reflective of the gratitude that Jesus Christ, for the, for the things that Jesus Christ has done? Has it matched his worthiness? But I ask you to do nothing more than just hear what the Holy Spirit says to you and be faithful and bold enough to move if he moves you. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.